Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So cats, popular animal, humans love them, and uh, cinema goers are about to enjoy them in a whole new way as uh, Tom Hooper brings his adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical to the big screen. We've talked about this before, but we got some really important revelations about the nature of this film, and I think we should begin this episode by talking about them. Of course, of course. There was a presentation at CinemaCon by Universal, and some people who were there were hoping that they might show some footage from Cats. Very anticipated film. There was no footage because they're still doing the elaborate CGI effects for the movie that they're using to bring the cats for life. But they uh, did explain that uh, what, they're, what they're actually doing with this CGI. So firstly, the cats are going to be the size of cats. So uh, the stars of the film will all be shrunk to the size of cats right and they've been shooting the movie on sets with like giant chairs and doors and stuff so that you know they're, they're the size of sure. cats all, all proportioned yeah they're, they're perfectly proportioned and they're also going to be covered in cgi fur like right. to make them look like cats okay so i'm not entirely what i'm not entirely clear on from this is whether they're also they're going to be like literally lifelike cats like they're going to look like the lions in the new lion king you know, or yeah. the animals from the Jungle Book, if you see what I mean. Gotcha. Or whether they're going to be somehow like more like furries, you know, like people who are kind of humans in cat costumes, which is what it's like if you see cats on Broadway. Yeah. Uh, which do you think they're going to go for? What would you prefer? Here's the thing. Does this make this less or more weird than it was? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like... You know what I mean? Because it's already totally batshit crazy project. Yeah. It's, it's nuts as it is as a musical on stage. Making it in film, you know, it's going to be as weird. But does making it, like, try? are they going for, like, realism? Well, the, with the singing cats? The description here um, in this article on Birth Movies Death I'm reading is that it's going to be a combination of costumes, makeup, and CGI accents on the cats' bodies. Um, so a bit, maybe a bit more like um, Where the Wild Things Are? Yeah, I guess. John's movie, which was, like, a similar thing, right? Sort of CGI faces, but there were people in suits. Yeah. So, so they're still going to be like human cats? Like they're still going to basically walk on their feet? Yeah, like and Meowth from Pokemon. Like they'll be like Meowth from Pokemon. But they'll be the size of cats, so everything else around them will look large, you know, by comparison. I'm excited, you know. It's mad, this I- movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll all be singing all the time. As well. <laughs> it, it is like quite a... Um, it's like a real departure from uh, Tom Hooper's like ultra naturalistic 
uh, gritty realism that he employed for Les Mis. Well, we don't know. Um, well, we don't know Maybe actually. That's, do why, he's been that's why they're the size. Of, that's why they're the size of cats. He's a realist because cat. That's how big cats are. He's basically like a, he's an Alan Clark for the for the noughties, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. I'm hoping that when they're filming it, like all the actors are sort of go like going on all fours, running about, having to pretend to be cats, yeah. like George Galloway when he was on Celebrity Big Brother, but like Idris Elba and a variety of other major movie stars. I should have got George Galloway in. Now, would you like me to be the cat? This was a completely innocent improvisation um, about a, a human being communicating in human animal language with a cat who wasn't eating its food. George Galloway is perfect for cats. Well, it's already been established that he can play the role. Yeah. He basically auditioned for it, you know, 10, 15 years ago, whenever that was. Yeah, and he's not really doing much these days, is he? No, he's not doing much. All he does these days is tweet about how he wants to rejoin the Labour Party, but they won't let him. Fair enough. Um... So I think that's that's got to be one of my most anticipated movies. This and the trench about the big trench from uh, um, from Aquaman. Imagine if you just like been in a coma for like thirty years and you woke up. And this movie's <laughs> like, coming. This out. is the cinema landscape now. And you'd be like, "What is? Like, why would they make this?" And you'd be like, "Well, it was the longest running show on Broadway. It's like it was a running show on Broadway beforehand. <laughs> Nothing yeah. about it makes sense." Yeah. Um, Wait, one thing that does make sense is the premise of this podcast, Danny. So why don't you remind us all what that is? Certainly. So, if this is your first time, welcome to Film Chat. It's a podcast all about Sam Foster, who runs a small business with his old army buddy, now brother-in-law, Danny Moran. One evening, Sam comes home to find his wife, Cora, acting as if he's an insane stranger. And there's a man who looks exactly like him, called Fam Soster, and he's taken his place, and is playing cars and drinking in his living room. Neither Cora nor Danny, not even Sam's dog, recognise Sam. They think he, rather than Fam Soster, is the double. Meanwhile, his face is shown up on the front page of newspapers as a bank robber in Miami who's made off with half a million dollars. As Sam flees from the police, he attempts to solve the mystery with the help of Mary Davis, an old girlfriend whom he jilted to marry Cora, and Mary's protective brother, Walt Davis, who was initially sceptical about Sam but soon kind of agrees with him and tries to figure out the puzzle with him. Is what I would be saying if this was an adaptation of the 1951 film The Man With My Face. This is, in fact, it's a great title, isn't it? The Man With My Face. It's a good title. This is, in fact, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me, a man with his own face, <laughs> Sam Foster. Thanks, Danny. On this episode of Film Chat, we are reviewing Us, Jordan Peele's follow-up to his hit horror Get Out which is about a family who are hunted by their exact doppelgangers. Personally, I can't imagine what it would be like to be tethered permanently to someone who sounds like you, thinks like you, behaves like you, speaks into the same sort of microphone as you, and thinks of nothing but how to destroy you. It would be terrifying. I'm trying to make that about, about this podcast. I don't know if that really lands. Uh, we'll also be discussing Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers fame, striking out on his own by making an adaptation of Macbeth. And we'll be talking about the epic trailer for the new Joker film, which explains how Batman's most famous foe came to be the crazy clown we all know and love in the most grown-up, Scorsese-referencing way possible. All that should leave just enough time for me to launch my Kickstarter campaign for my latest film project, which is called UK, uh, spelled U-K. <laughs> uh, the premise is the same as us, but the family is Remainers, 
They're doppelgangers are leavers. So it's about Brexit. Um, that's all I've got for that one so far. But I think <laughs> it's, it's going to be a really good way to talk about Brexit. And I've also got my target for the Kickstarter, which is £250 million. Pounds. It's a Brexit reference. <laughs> Uh, but also it's going to be an expensive film. Are the evil doppelgangers like slightly larger because it's not quite half and half? <laughs> they're all carrying a few more pounds. Yeah, they're four percentage points larger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an important part of the film. Brilliant. you've been tweeting despite everything i told you about not doing that <laughs> and you're not listening to me and you're just constantly tweeting so you tweeted can anyone think of examples of black neurotic characters the only ones i can think of are from really recent shows wondering if this is a recent shift in the kinds of characters being used to explore anxiety or if i'm just ignorant and you've got a couple of responses here from brona fagan who says i think it's recent sadly e.g sra and insecure lionel and dear white people too much media had or has a token black character and thought that was personality enough. Black-focused shows obviously granted more variety. Tia and Sister Sister, Hillary and Fresh Prince. Oldest I can think of is Robert Townsend in Hollywood Shuffle, which was tellingly an independent production, and even then his character's anxiety was rooted in industrial racism. Black characters' motivation is too often a binary to whiteness. So what was it that prompted your question in the first place? Well, I recently started watching Russian Doll, and that has a black character who's like a bit anxious uh and in uh and is not dissimilar to the character of chidi a black character from the good place and it struck me that usually uh neurotic guys are white jewish that's the sort of stereotype yeah and there's been this recent well this recent shift where i can think of two examples well there's also the guy in veep yeah that's true uh benjamin splat yeah um and I was, you know, I thought, I don't know anything about race or uh, representation, so I better just wade into this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think and I think it's an interesting point. I think you can also, it relates in a way a bit to um, us, which we'll be talking about later, because that's about a, uh, they're not neurotic, but it's a black family in the kind of, starring in the kind of film and playing the kind of roles that are often taken by white people, basically. Yeah, the exactly. kind of like comfortable middle class uh, black family. And, and like portrayals of black men particularly are often associated with like hyper masculinity historically like black exploitation movies and uh that kind of thing yeah so um or like action hero characters or like in tarantino movies you know the black people are always very very mass like very manly um the black men are that is so i think like those those characteristics of being more like intellectual or reserved or uh, neurotic or you know all the other things that aren't associated with like macho-ness are definitely rarer for amongst black people or like people like james baldwin or harry belafonte or whatever not really portrayed very much yeah i think there was like well once in the recurring segment where i wade into something i'm not quite qualified to really talk about <laughs> that's the entire podcast <laughs> um i think there's like two things in that sort of uh, neuroticism in comedy uh to simplify is basically somebody who's their own worst enemy and if like they didn't stress about these things their life is fine so it's like they've got nothing to worry about and yet they worry yeah and uh that is 
I know kind of related to privilege. Yeah, yeah, because, that's, like, that's absolutely true. Yeah, you know, if you're poor, like you've got no time to worry whether you've made a faux pas at a dinner party because you're too busy just trying to pay the rent. Yeah, and also uh, to speak to what you were saying, it is definitely like a middle class thing, and there's just uh, a lack of portraying a black middle class uh, in movies and TV, and that's why like us is unusual, unusual in that it depicts a black family that can buy a boat. You get kind of like comfortably well off black families in like Tyler Perry movies. Yeah. I guess. But other than that, yeah, it's quite unusual. That's not great for black representation though. <laughs> like <laughs> well, I don't know. I would look up Spike Lee being asked about Tyler Perry. His, his response is pretty funny. There's a school of thought that says, Oh, we're not diversifying our imagery enough in our community yet. There are certain images, whether they be in plays or movies or music that we flock to, whether we like to admit it or not. I'm wondering, is that just a black middle class saying, oh, no, that's not what we want, but the lot of us wanting it? Well, I mean, this is a, you know, a complex subject because each artist should be allowed to pursue the artistic endeavor. But I still think there a lot of stuff that's on today is coonery buffoonery. And I know it's making a lot of money, breaking records, but we could do better. I think, I think it's a good point. And it's also one of those things about representation that um, sometimes when you see things, you just realize that it's something that had been missing before and it doesn't need to like shout about being, uh, you know, like fulfilling some new thing. It's like, but it's just uh, some minor aspects of, uh, diversity that you hadn't realized was uh, was really missing yeah i don't know long may it continue indeed i don't know long may it continue well done those two shows <laughs> very similar shows really like a lot of the, a lot of the conversation around um around like identity like whatever you want to identity politics if you want to call it that or like representation and diversity um focuses on like it being like a box ticking exercise and some kind of like secondary thing it's like not really important and you know we shouldn't just uh, uh be looking to make things diverse for their own sake you know and that kind of thing it's like politically limited or whatever and that, that's probably you know there's definitely some uh truth to that but i think part of it is is not about like identifying all the areas where there are gaps and then like filling them with every <laughs> kind of like race and gender yeah but just um uh kind of recognizing that if we were in a world that didn't have all this kind of like uh, privilege and discrimination then you would the, all those gaps would be filled themselves yeah and that when something turns up that is like a bit of an unusual kind of representation and it's really notable then it just highlights the the, the discrimination that was in place before absolutely um so it's always it always feels like something to be celebrated and it's like there's something that's satisfying as well about these things that that happen in ways which aren't like you know I mean, films that are made, but they're very politically conscious are obviously good, but um, it's cool as well when it's just sort of, it's just out there and it's like, you know, the system has allowed this to happen and like maybe that's a sign of progress. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, did we just solve racism there? I think so. Good job, man. I think we solved that in episode 52. <laughs> when, uh... <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. Joel Cohen, brother of Ethan Cohen, the Cohen brothers, they've made masterpieces together. 
why would they ever split up? <laughs> they, they've what? made disaster pieces apart. <laughs> they've made disaster pieces <laughs> apart. So, uh, interesting news during that Joel Cohn is striking out by himself to adapt uh, Will I Am Shakespeare, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Macbeth, the tragedy of the Scottish play. I've just cursed the entire podcast now, sorry. Oh my god. Macbeth. Ah! Um... <laughs> And very excitingly, in the cast is Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington, presumably playing Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, respectively. There's obviously been loads of Macbeth adaptations, probably one of the most adapted of the Shakespeare plays. And each of them have been quite acclaimed. Most recently, the Fazbender one, which we reviewed. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that good, though. It wasn't that good, but it got yeah. a lot of rave reviews. And there's a very well-regarded Roman Polanski version from the 70s, and Orson Welles did one, and Akira Kosawa did Throne of Blood, which is the very best good. one I've seen. Um, so, I mean, it's just basically like the guy has a loss for power. It all goes a bit wrong. Same, yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. So it's not clear what his take will be, uh, Mr. Cohen, as he likes to be called. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, just he's got his wife involved. She was probably around. He was like, you know, probably in bed. Like, hey, babes, let's make Macbeth. And she was like, sure. Maybe she was just saying how much she loved he would love to play Lady Macbeth and he was like I will make that happen. Well she has already played Lady Macbeth in a stage production in 2016 with Conliff Hill oh, interesting. Famous for playing Varys in Game of Thrones as the title role. Oh cool. What do you think? Do you reckon it'll be good? Do you reckon maybe Ethan's the real power? Well the Cone the the brothers <laughs> the Cone brothers have done a um, bunch of adaptations before they obviously enjoy ad- adapting things. Yeah they're kind of interesting in that they have their own they're kind of a genre unto themselves, but it seems to kind of seamlessly fit with whatever they attach it to. Yeah, well, they they adapt things that they always have its take on them, yeah. you know. Which um, uh, so they're 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 good adapters as well as uh, makers of their own material. So yeah, I'm, I'd uh, be interested to see how it's going to work. The kind of sensibility of Macbeth doesn't really obviously match um, the Coen Brothers' own movies. I think. I mean, they've got a lot of they've made a lot of stuff about like people betraying each other and like violence you know and that kind of thing um like blood simple and you know yeah many other films but uh yeah i mean what wh- i wonder if he will add some kind of like wry uh, comedy slapstick <laughs> element to uh Here's to macbeth bit. yeah they the prop is it is the lady killers the, their worst film i don't know i guess considered to be their worst film yeah i mean that that is an adaptation that um that i well i haven't seen it since it came out but i remember thinking it didn't really work at all um but uh, but they've also done really good ones like the remake of True Grip. So, and, and also like when you're adapting like a Shakespeare play, is it even does it even count as an adaptation anymore? Like, yeah. or is it just like taking a story that's like become so culturally ubiquitous? It's like doing a version of a Nativity or something like that. You know? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe true. maybe it's th- like something that's been told and retold so many times that um, it's not really in the same kind of category as a straight adaptation. I don't know. I do think the, the pairing of Denzel Washington and Frozen McDormand as a couple is really interesting. And also, it's already kind of set itself apart from the other film adaptations by the casting of, well, firstly, an interracial couple yeah. is obviously very different. And it's hard to think of any films of an older interracial couple. That's true. At all. As the leads. Jackie Brown, maybe? Ish. Well, I think the um, age, yeah, the age of the um, of the leads is quite is quite is quite unusual. Yeah, because it's usually like, you know, lust and power is like a young man's game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just by making them older, it's already a bit different. Are they going to be doing Scottish accents? Can Denzel Washington do a Scottish accent? 
I mean, I think the more Coen Brothers thing to do would be to make it like a modern day adaptation. Yeah, but it's so like uh, change the setting or whatever. Yeah, but how do you do like the the forest coming and you know what I mean and like the well, it's not. I don't. I mean, things like the witches, for example, are that kind of. Um, eerie representation of uh like magic or the divine or whatever in the in the in the everyday world is something that the coen brothers have done yeah. you know like having all those like characters who represent satan for example something like oh brother where art thou as well that i guess that's a, probably the most obvious antecedent because that's supposedly adapted from ulysses fact check fact check it's a live low audio quality fact check i meant to say the odyssey Homer's Odyssey rather than Ulysses, the James Joyce novel. Um, I'm editing the podcast at the moment. I just felt like I had to jump in and correct myself there. Uh, sorry for the low audio quality. I don't have access to my normal microphones at the moment. Uh, anyway, back to the podcast. Uh, but it's obviously a very loose adaptation. So I, I guess a, their version of Macbeth would be probably be somewhat like that, where like in uh, in A Brother Rot, the, the Cyclops is just like gone John Goodman with an eye patch, you know. And yeah. uh, and then the you know, I assume the witches will be a bit like that. Do you remember when the BBC did that thing called Shakespeare Retold? Yeah. Uh, and their version of Macbeth was like James McAvoy in a restaurant. Yeah. And the witches were like garbage men. I think it probably might be a bit like that, but probably better. Yeah. He's just a <laughs> he's just an ambitious chef. <laughs> so maybe Denzel's going to be an ambitious chef. Well, I would say that the Shakespeare adaptations I like the most are the ones that have the most clear takes on it. And it's always fun to see the like modern versions and like how they try and sort of like sometimes it's not the most elegant thing like in Romeo plus Juliet he's like give me my longsword ho and it's cuts to like a picture of an Uzi in his car or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but it's labeled longsword because yeah, that's the brand. I just you know I think that stuff's a lot of fun. So I'm I'm all for it. I'm yeah. all for it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Look forward to hearing more about it. You know what else I'm looking forward to? What are you looking forward to, Sam? The Joker movie. What? Starring Joaquin Phoenix. The so dark, dark. Isn't it's it? so dark, gritty. It's so gritty, gritty. so gritty. The uh, trailer for this has just landed, and I would say that it is fulfilling the promise of you know what what we heard about it ahead of time. So it's an origin story to uh, explain how the Joker came to be, and we were told that it would be um, uh, influenced by Scorsese, like Taxi Driver and uh, King of Comedy. And I would say it is wearing that influence absolutely on its sleeve. Influence, wholesale, ripoff, <laughs> whatever you want. Potato, potato. Whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's even a bit in the trailer where uh, it looks like he's about to go on stage to uh, present, like, a, like on TV or something, do kind of a bit of comedy on TV, which is directly lifted from the King of Comedy. But this time, the presenter, the TV presenter, is Robert De Niro, so it's like directly Whoa. nodding to it. Um, yeah so how did you how did you feel about this one i think it's gonna suck it That's got a lot it got a lot of praise people were saying that it was really good i read a really good piece about it by this writer gavia baker whitelaw who writes for the daily dot where she described it as uh catnip for batman's toxic masculinity fan base which i think is like dead on uh in that it's the sort of people who think like logan is like a sort of bergman-esque work of uh the human condition and, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, nastiness and angst equals like serious drama and she was kind of lamenting how it's such a sort of obvious and slightly canny move by the studio to like do a prestige comic book thing, but it's very much like another film about an isolated white dude, and it's like the most played out genre. And they're not even trying to do something different. Like that, it was basically like, what if Taxi Driver was made by somebody who isn't Martin Scorsese, and instead of 
and, he, and he turns into the Joker for Batman. Joker. <laughs> I saw this other like great like sarky tweet from um, Nick Pinkerton, this uh, writer, where he's like, "We all know the most serious role you can play is the clown that tries to kill Batman." <laughs> 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 and like, I would be completely uninterested in it if it wasn't for Whacking Phoenix. But I, I, even this performance feels like just the master plus. You know what I mean? It's so in his wheelhouse that like, yeah. I don't know. What it do, does feel. It feels about? a bit like we've. I've just seen the entire film. Yeah. And there's something also a bit lame about doing like taking the Joker seriously, which has like already happened in a way because that was kind of what the Dark Knight did. Yeah. Um, and he's not that deep a character, you know. And the the thing that was that that was quite um, enjoyable about his portrayal in the Dark Knight was the fact that his history and his internal psychology were not especially important. Yeah, it's just a sort it's of sort of force of nature. Yeah. But like psychologizing him as just a sort of alienated guy who didn't get the mental health uh, treatment that he needed and then turned into a, a mass murderer as a result um, is just lame. And it's, it's also like, I mean, I, I it's it's kind of this depiction as well. Yeah, it's always centering kind of alienation and uh, and misery on like the like middle aged white guy is is very boring by now <laughs> it's also boring but do you think like this is is this the worst or best time to be making a movie about disaffected white males um i also get two guys you brain about <laughs> i already have but i i think that it's they're it's very easy to make them reactionary yeah um and uh like falling down or something the michael douglas movie it's like a guy who's pushed too far or like fight club as well yeah you know it's a, it's 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 a similar similar kind of thing where it obviously touches on you know real societal problems but um uh, but portrays the ultimate victim as the white guy you know when that's there are worse victims sure <laughs> um and uh yeah so it's there's there's something very elevated pitchy about it it's a bit like some it's like watch the king of comedy once and then watch the dark knight and was like wait a second wait a second he wants to become a famous comedian. The Joker's origin story was that uh, he was a comedian in The Killing Joke. So what if we just remake The King of Comedy, but it stars the Joker? <laughs> and then they just have done that. Yeah. So I'm not especially hopeful. Also, the director is not that great, right? Todd Phillips? Yeah, I have no love for the Hangover movies. I never saw War Dogs. I didn't see War Dogs. Look, shit. Yeah, the whole DC Warner Bros. people, we've got to stop hiring these, like, David Ayers, Zack Snyder. Like, he just seems like another one of those angry white dudes who's, like, watched Heat way too many times. And yeah. it's, like, you know, watches, like, Taxi Driver, didn't quite get it, you know? <laughs> like, Well, in, in a way, like, these projects are the exact reverse of something like what the movies Jordan Peele is making. Yeah. Like, in that they are re-examining these same tired uh, topics about like sad men over and over and trying to convince you how serious and important they are, you know, and how how layered with themes and how much, how, you know, this is a real film and stuff, but in the most superficial way. Whereas Jordan Peele is making this like really mainstream entertainment that, that it wants to like entertain you. It's like, take all your friends, eat popcorn, watch my fun movie, you know, and if you want to think about like what it's trying to say afterwards, you know, then then do that. You know, you might, you yeah. might find it like thought provoking, but I'm like, I'm an entertainer and making like entertaining films. There's something really more sort of honest and straightforward about that than this kind of project, which just seems like this slick exercise in nothing, which is trying to tell you that it's really meaningful. Can't wait, though. Can't wait. I mean, I don't know. Maybe we'll be, we're only judging it from the trailer. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's say, so let's see. But I, I agree that I'm not particularly optimistic about it. It's like cats, is it? It's not going to be as good as cats. It's not going to be like the trench. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Sam, let's talk about Us. Us, which we will now review. It's the new film from Jordan Peele, who had a huge hit a couple years ago with uh, Get Out and is remaining within the horror genre with his second effort. This focuses on a uh, family, uh, Adelaide, played by Nupita Nyong'o, uh, Gabe, played by Winston Duke, her husband, uh, and their two uh, children, Zora and Jason, who are going on holiday to Santa Cruz in California and uh, while they're out there, they encounter uh, creepy doubled uh, versions of themselves who are dressed in red jumpsuits, uh-huh. carry golden scissors and seem rather hostile towards them and are out to get them. And the film basically follows how they fight back. Here's a clip. Okay, let's call the cops. I did. They're 14 minutes away. What? 14 minutes? Okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay. Jason, give me the bat. What bat? The baseball bat, the bat. There's one in the corner. Here, here. Thank you. Gabe. All right, hold on. I got this. Let's try this again. Gabe. No, 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 no. All right. Gabe. I got this. I got this. Now, I thought I already done told y'all to get off my property, okay? So if y'all want to get crazy... We can get crazy. Now the cops are already on their way. Hey, 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 hey! So this is obviously a very highly anticipated film because Get Out was so good. It was like not just a uh, great horror movie, great entertainment, but also a social commentary about the state of America Day and race relations. And so I think a lot of people were keen to see how Jordan Peele was going to go next. You know, what devastating, biting social critique would he mix into his uh, fun horror film? And I think it, it's, it, it does also do that. So uh, yeah. it it's clearly is um, saying some stuff about America. There's a bit where one of the doppelgangers says, uh, we're Americans, in answer to the question. That's who what are, I knew was saying about America. these people? That's when I knew it was saying something about America. The title as well hints to it being about the US. What? So it's been just about just us. Just got that. Huge. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, but it, it isn't saying something which is uh, as straightforward or as obvious. Maybe not obvious isn't the right word, but it's like not as uh, kind of 
uh, wrapped up in the the nature of what's scary about it i don't know yeah, like yeah. get get out is a very very as a movie with a very very clear and inescapable message about race and this film is not as obviously about race although it is about race a bit um and it's also not film which is like as clear in terms of exactly what it's saying which i think is not necessarily um a weakness but it's maybe um you know not what you might have expected it's unfair really in a way to like sophomoric filmmakers to just compare their movie to their previous movie because no one has made you know then you shouldn't make the same film twice if you yeah know what I mean. absolutely it's but it is much a much looser more genre film i would say um i thoroughly enjoyed it i had a blast and it was this is not like a serious point but i enjoyed going to the movies to watch a big crowd-pleasing movie where there weren't any explosions it was an original film wasn't based on anything. I don't have to watch the previous four things and the cutscenes. It was just a good. It was a good night out. It's a good time. It's a good time at the movies, and uh, there's lots to enjoy about it. Let's start with the positives. I think he's very in tune um, with the audience, and it's very light on its feet. The movie, and it does a really good job of like kind of mixing up where the horror is coming from. This isn't a spoiler necessarily, but the the opening sort of uh, stab of horror is a bit of a kind of home invasion movie, and you feel like it could easily have all been like that but like every 20 minutes or so the movie kind of expands a little bit in scope and it's like the characters kind of adjust to the reality of the horror when the audience do which i think is maybe a jordan peele thing is that nobody goes into a creepy basement in a jordan peele movie when the audience is yelling get out i feel like they're quite an easy gang to root for yeah i think um he clearly has a preference for like active protagonists who take control of the situation and that they're like the, his uh, horror is not based around like people being tortured or rendered helpless yeah exactly and uh, they're just a very winning family and you know there's room for them and it's got a very similar to get out it's got a very pleasing i know this is all screenwriting 101 but things are set up in act one and they pay off in act three and like little moments and little like throwaway lines have greater significance later and all that stuff is just immensely satisfying yeah, all the nuts and bolts filmmaking stuff is really, really well done, I think. Yeah. And it's it's a movie that, like, from the very beginning kind of settles you into it and reassures you that this guy knows exactly what he's doing, you know, has has uh, spent a long time ironing this stuff out. Um, and, yeah, it's extremely well made. I think the soundtrack is, a, is especially good as well. It's got a real good uh, mix of uh, kind of needle drops, which are quite well chosen, um, and cool uh, spooky horror score stuff. And the use of the song I Got Five on it, which is uh, the, the kind of soundtrack to the trailer, I think is really great. It's like uh, this catchy tune, which feels immediately indelibly associated with this movie. And the hook from the song is also, it's just great for the horror soundtrack. Yeah. It's like and that's really effective. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I also think uh, the performances are brilliant. Really kind of ground the whole thing. I didn't realize this, but this is Lupita Nyong'o's first starring role. Which says something about the state of uh, role, like the dearth of uh, roles for black women in movies, I guess. Uh, but she is great both as the lead and uh, her counterpart, which could easily. I, I feel that's a hard thing to get right. Like, uh, you know, just be a scary version of yourself. Yeah. And it almost. She's going really going for it in a way which I think ultimately, like, really works. Like, when she first speaks, there was a few, like, tears of laughter in the screening I was, but then it became terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, like, a very compelling uh, antagonist, whereas it could just be a plot device. Um, 
and I also thought Winston Duke was a lot of fun as like a sort of goofy dad. He's a very Jordan Peele-esque character, isn't he? I was wondering if he's basically playing Jordan Peele. He kind of is. Like that's similar, sort of like, Jordan what Jordan cadence. Peele does in um, uh, in his sketch shows, really. Yeah. I mean, in Key and Peele. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought he was really good. I thought perhaps I was thinking when I was watching it that like, are there maybe one too many kind of symbols and objects? The film is like absolutely littered with like little recurring visual motifs yeah in a way that didn't feel completely elegant to me like i don't know i mean maybe it's just because it wasn't like grasping the significance of everything but it's absolutely stuffed to the gills with little things to notice in a way like even yeah. more so than get out is i don't know if it's just because you've seen get out which really rewards re- repeat viewings so like when i said in for us i was like okay i gotta pay attention here yeah color scheme here bible reference <laughs> that song's playing <laughs> Um, but yeah, the guy's I, got the black flag t shirt, then it, then another guy's got the black flag t shirt. Frisbee's got the star in it. What does What's, that what mean? What does it mean? <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely full of that stuff. So I mean, yeah, it's quite enjoyable to watch in a way, you know, trying trying to piece it together, but I almost found it somewhat distracting that like I was playing some sort of a, like adventure video game where you're like collecting items for your inventory <laughs> and you've got to decide how you're gonna use them later. Also, there there's more exposition than there is in in Get Out. Uh, there's a more complicated explanation, basically, for what is going on. I mean, Get Out has a somewhat complicated explanation, but this one, I would say, even more so, raises all sorts of kind of logistical and other questions. Yeah. And um, I think you can easily come out of the movie just thinking, so wait, like, what? Like, so how how did that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is, you know, where, whereas I think what you're, how you're supposed to come out of the film thinking is more like, what did it mean? Um, but it raises some really concrete stuff about the mechanics of how the plot works, which are really a, just a distraction, you know, and that you're not really supposed to interrogate that stuff too much. But yeah, I, I really liked it. I had a blast. I had a blast watching it. I thought it was I thought it was thoroughly entertaining. I think maybe it's not um, uh, quite as good as Get Out, but it's still extremely good and you should watch it. Yeah, it's hard to I feel like Get Out didn't exist. Everyone would be like. This is amazing. This is great, which everyone is sort of saying. But I, yeah, it's almost like that's the caveat. It's just very hard to meet. You know, if your debut is that strong, it's quite hard to uh, to reach the same standard. But yeah, um, do you want to talk a little bit about what us is about? You know, you mean in, you mean press the spoiler alert, Jingle? press the spoiler alert button. You want to press that button? Yes, I'm thinking about pressing the button and then having a conversation about the film's themes, getting a little into it. Sure. Okay. Join, come back in. 12 minutes if you have not seen us. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Watch out, spoilers boy. Careful, spoiler alert. Spoilers. So you, we now assume you've seen this this film. Yeah. So we'll be talking about it in spoilers. Switch off if you haven't seen it. Uh, so the, the fact that um, Red, who's Adelaide's doppelganger, has that line about we're Americans is, is a real uh, red flag to, to the audience that um, this film is about stuff. Of course. You know, it's not, it is, but it is both that kind of like home invasion movie that kind of turns into a disaster movie and uh, flicks through various other horror genres. Um, but, uh, but it's also clearly uh, telling you something about America, about what's going on. Uh, there's a sort of obvious reading about the fact that the doppelgangers are literalizing the idea of you being your own worst, someone being their own worst enemy and like, you know, the, the baggage of your past coming back uh, to haunt you and you've been confronted by your own demons, that kind of thing. Then the fact that the scope of the film expands into this uh, mass uprising across America of this kind of underclass of uh, red um, attired uh, people also makes the film in some way about America's crimes 
and the, the buried past and you sure, know the, the quintessential founding of all american horror right it's the right exactly america, i think this is actually america something we've talked about before ground. yeah exactly right? it's built on the massacre of native americans and then the blood of slaves so the blood will out yeah it's actually only now that i'm talking about it that i'm wondering if that red is that red supposed to be reference that would that will be actually problematic to associate there no i, I don't think know it's uh it's obviously a deliberate color scheme. Like Get Out was all blue. This one's all red. Maybe but the red, the red thing white. is also like, like they look a bit like prisoners. They're kind of in prison style jumpsuits. Like they're not orange, but they're red instead. But yeah, and I think he also talked about how it was. There's lots of uh, kind of references to Michael Jackson in it. Which yeah, what thought, does that what does that mean? <laughs> I've, well, in an interview, Jordan Peele said he thought Michael Jackson represents duality, which is like the big theme of the movie. In that Michael Jackson is. Uh, I mean, now even more so because of these um, revelations about him. But in the 80s, he's like somehow masculine and sexual, but also like a child. He's white. He's black. Yeah. He's 45. He's permanently like seven years old. And it's she at the beginning. Uh, the girl has like a frilla T-shirt and the um, red has got like one glove like Michael Jackson. So I'm not sure if there's it's more just he had this idea and just went with it for the production design. Then Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think that kind of ties a bit into um, one of the themes that was that was raised. Um, I was listening to the Still Processing podcast about this, um, and they mentioned Wesley Morris mentioned on that um, this concept of double consciousness, which is this idea that was come up with by a um, black um, thinker called W. E. Du Bois, and it's the idea that it kind of a, it can apply to any kind of oppressed category, but it's um, the idea that you are uh, both. You know, can't you just kind of you have this double consciousness on the one level of yourself in society and like on another level of the way that society views you yeah. so that if you're a black american it's you on some level you are aware of the way in which uh this like majority white society views and treats you and that pushes that puts you at a remove from it yeah you know um and that's something that it's hard to hard to escape from and that metaphor as uh, turned into this doppelganger thing is quite interesting because the the it's it's quite nice the way the film functions in a sort of um almost like an intersectional way to be about class and race because those things are hard to separate anyway but especially for america they're, they're extremely tied together and the um inequality um uh, that exists in america right now and the level of um, oppression and stuff um and its history it cannot escape like the racial the racial element yeah of course so on one level the film is about this like uh comfortably well-off black family and the 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 sort of black doppelgangers um that kind of represent that like haunted sense that you have this like past of of people who were like oppressed and you know uh and brutally exploited in order to generate the wealth that you are now enjoying so there's that like, I mean, there's that strange element of being part of American society and having all the appliances and the summer home and stuff like that, but also being uh, conscious that um, your own ancestors like suffered enormously, Yeah, you know, to sort of put you in that position. Um, and I think that the, the way that is explored is quite interesting in terms of how the different family members react to uh, to what happens. So the kind of clearest reactions come from, adelaide and from uh jason the son and they have like quite opposite responses to it and a- adelaide is um terrified of uh th- this like thing returning to like haunt her but then once it happens she kind of go- gets into immediately like warrior mode yeah 
Um, and it's part of the film's kind of moviness in a way that the family is like starts fighting back pretty quickly. But I also think it's part of its social commentary that they're pretty comfortable with violence. And actually yeah. the the most brutal like the most brutal stuff in the film, like the most brutal violence that's committed is committed by the family, not by the uh the doppelgangers, the tethered or whatever. Yeah. Like the daughter like when the daughter kills one of the twins, you know, like Elizabeth Moss's twins, she like absolutely wrecks her with this golf club. <laughs> like yeah really brutally and then doesn't show any kind of like remorse about it and adelaide is very single-minded in her desire to kill her counterpart well it's us or them right it's us or them exactly so that's the that's her mindset but then like the way that jason acts throughout the film is he's much more he recognizes much more the connection between the two um uh, the fact that he is the one who says it's us yeah and also his he has something of a bond with his own doppelganger the scene where they're like in the cupboard together and they're kind of playing together yeah. is not, there's no like equivalent kind of interaction between the, the main version and the tethered version like elsewhere in the film. Um, and it's sort of interesting as well in the, the way in which Adelaide's doppelganger red is kind of this like sort of intellectual <laughs> of her class, you yeah. know, they're like, in, the, in that like exposition section, which is the one that doesn't really make a lot of sense because you end up thinking like where they get all the rabbits, where they get their clothes and so on and so forth. It's, it's, I think like what it's trying to get at is this story of like a, um, it's like this underclass which develops a kind of intellectual who like turn, who like raises the conscious, their consciousness. Radicalizes. Radic- well, yeah, like, or like makes them conscious of their own oppressions and leads a revolution. Sure. Spartacus and the, the, the film depicts a re- revolution. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas Adelaide is, um, is not a, not reflective about it at all and just sees it as this like life or death struggle. And then it kind of, the way that their fight goes at the end, it's almost like red allows herself to be killed. You know, she sacrifices her whole family for this like cause. Mm. Um, and the end of the film, uh, Jason is sort of looking at his mom in a slightly suspicious way or like a concerned way, almost like he has more of a sense of what's really at stake and what's really going on whereas like the rest of the family just wants to survive and doesn't want to think about what's actually happening um i also was thinking that it's significant that he notices the guy on the beach as well because like part of the you know if 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 it's mapping this um uh underclass versus the like privileged class thing you know part of that reality is the fact that people don't they people ignore the evidence in front of their faces of this like total injustice and stuff. So the um, uh, the guy on the beach who is presumably already committed his like murder and then gone to join the line. Looks like he's the first yeah. one, you know. He kind of gets out a bit earlier than everyone else, kills the guy holding the Jeremiah sign, and then goes and stands on the beach. But everyone else is like, oh, it's just a crazy guy. There's probably a million of those in, the, in Santa Cruz at any given time. But like the boy notices him, so he's like much more conscious to like the world that's around him. Also, the thing about, like, Hands Across America, I was sort of wondering about what this is about. So, like, I hadn't heard of this program before, but it was this thing that they did. It's referenced right at the beginning of the film. They show this television advert for Hands Across America, and then the um, uh, the girl's wearing a Hands Across America t-shirt. Um, I think she puts the Thriller t-shirt on over her Hands Across America yeah. t-shirt. And it was this event in, uh, in, in 1986, the year of the flashback, that was, like, aimed at raising money for the homeless. And they did this huge stunt of getting people to join hands uh, and stretch like far across America. And they had millions, literally millions of people involved in it. Like it was this huge thing. 
uh, and they raised something like $30 million over it. But like Ronald Reagan was like part of the line, like yeah. holding hands and stuff. So it was this huge event. Um, and, on a, and in a way, there's a neatness to the fact that the, uh, the, the tether do it at, in the end of the film because um, it's another mirroring you know that they copy the above world yeah so this thing happened in the 80s and then when they get out they, they're doing something which is a copy of what the above world had done i guess there's a lot of different ways you can interpret it but the way that i sort of took from it is that like this thing in the 80s which obviously didn't really solve any problems and was also like sufficiently apolitical that like ronald reagan could be involved in it right, right. um is this kind of meaningless gesture politics yeah, yeah like you know like the make poverty history campaign or something like that which like did not make poverty history in any way <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's just about raising money and distributing it through charity rather than dealing with like structural problems whereas like when the tether do it it's like a it's more it seems more like a symbol of class solidarity you know yeah the, the, we've, we, we, we've 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 emerged we're taking over and like we are actually more unified and, and have a sense of common cause you know than you do absolutely and there's also the case that she watched as a kid and she just took it literally in a yeah. way she's like you know can't see through the bullshit of it yeah because like kids just trust things I'm like yeah okay <laughs> of course cool great idea yeah yeah absolutely like was, you know the wide-eyed innocence of the child i think you can also say something as well about the um that kind of double consciousness idea also existing for the tethered themselves and that weird kind of thing where they're doing they're like it's like make-believe kind of theater that they're doing of the above ground world yeah which in a literal way is rather silly and as you were pointing out to me like what if one of them gets on a plane like how do the tethers do that yeah that's all that's all that's all quite silly but it's there's also you know you could read that as being a kind of metaphor for the way in which the people who are the most oppressed in society are also um forced to uh or like highly aware of what is going on in what's considered to be like the, the mainstream of society you yeah know? that their excluded world is not really part of society or is like pushed to the side of it and so you know you're surrounded by symbols of like comforts and um, happiness and people going about their day in its own way and you're kind of part of the society that's doing that but also being really aware that you can't ever fulfill that so it seems yeah seems like a, a, a sort of a representation of that but anyway, but I just thought, I was like, as I was dwelling on it a bit more, I was a well, bit I like, this is actually quite a rich and interesting... Yeah, I think that was my sort of... When I left the movie, I was a bit hung up on the logic, but that kind of faded away and like the sort of themes emerged, which maybe is the wrong way round which Jordan <laughs> wanted. But nevertheless, yeah. I found it quite a rich uh, thing yeah. to mull on. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Yeah, it's definitely a rich very thing interesting. To mull on. It's a rich thing to mull on. Yeah. Yeah. A rich bone to chew on. <laughs> Like a like a sort of uh, film critic dog. Ooh, time for a break from all the film chat. Have a cup of tea, maybe make a quick snack and telephone friends so you know where she's at. Right, that's enough. Now back to film chat. Okay, folks, that's it for this episode of Film Chat. If you had any thoughts about us. Um, and about and about us <laughs> uh please do send them in because i feel like this is a fun movie to talk about so get get those thoughts into us i'm, please, cu- I'm curious do. i'm curious to hear other people's takes and you know how they reflect upon the film next week danny will be reviewing the sisters brothers yep so that's currently out. jack the movie i don't know what i'll be reviewing maybe the same thing if i see that don't i thought you'd be seeing shazam or something you love those comic book movies i'll be seeing shazam <laughs> And I'll be telling you why it's the best film ever. (laughs) 
I'll be reviewing the the Avengers Endgame uh, Marvel UK uh, one minute trailer. It's a different, different yes, different with all new footage. Yeah, gave away a lot of in- a lot of interesting stuff in that trailer. Ooh. A lot of interesting stuff. I'll be doing a twenty five minute breakdown of that. Um, Team and- Thanos. I hope, he, I hope he just wins again. Oh no! I want him to. I want him to beat Thanos. No, it'd just be great, wouldn't it? If he just. No, it'd be awful. If he just snaps his fingers again. And there's like twenty five percent. I'd be so sad. No, it'd be great. Oh, that would really, that would really um, put me in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, that's it. Speak to those guys. Bye bye. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.